this morning, my message, can I get the lights on? I, I don't know if it's just me. It seems a little dark. Thank you. Now I can see everybody's face. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, I wanted to uh, share uh, a message with you, and I'm hoping because I had to, I was trying to blend two different thoughts in together and, and make it one, so I hope I did a, an adequate uh, job to do that. And I, I get to uh, working on one message and something else kind of leaps out at me, and I think that's something that we need to hear, we need to uh, share from the pulpit, and so I hope I did an adequate job, and I hope it all makes sense to you this morning. But uh, the kids sang some songs this morning that were appropriate to the message and uh, the title of my message and, and uh, the substance of the, uh, the sermon this morning. And the title of my message is Grace, the Cup of the New Covenant. So, um, with that being said, if you want to turn to Luke 22, 19 through 20, we'll uh, read that in a few moments. But it's my ser- sincerest apologies that I forgot uh, to uh, forewarn everybody, uh, especially those that are listening in on uh, live stream, that this is... Uh, uh, communion service this week. So uh, hopefully uh, with that, they, they'll still be able to partic- participate in it, and if, if they can't, then they can get their elements later and have their own home communion service. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I advise that uh, very much. So everyone can be uh, a part of what's going on in our service here today, and uh, they can uh, they can do that also at home. So communion is a very uh, necessary part of what it means to be believers. And uh, probably, if the truth were to be known, we don't partake of uh, communion frequently enough. I know when I first started coming here years ago, we used to have communion service at least once a month and maybe even on special occasions. But uh, uh, for whatever reason right now, it's done quarterly. And so uh, maybe at some point in time that will change, and maybe we'll get back to once a month. And if if I remember correctly, and I'm sure I do, that uh, it was during communion services that I had the opportunity to present a, a sermonette which gave me the opportunity uh, to get into ministry and, and preaching. Clayton Bowman, the father of uh, this church, uh, gave me the opportunity, and I remember some of the first ones that I did. They were pretty rough, but uh, we got through it, and hopefully over the years now I've uh, gotten a little bit uh, better. But anyway, the communion services has always been uh, a, a blessing to me, and it's a, it's a sweet time to be able to uh, share with the congregation some of the thoughts uh, of what Jesus has done for you and I. So I, I, I got a couple of people also here in mind in our services in this congregation that need to be working on a sermonette because they're going to get their opportunity just like I did. 
I won't mention any names, Shay, but one of those people is right here. <laughs> I know you, that you have it in you to do that, and uh, that was one of the people that I had. And I'm going to have my dad do a sermonette one of these days, too. Uh, and maybe it'll be on a communion service. So I want him to testify of some things that's on his heart. So Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Amen? Something we need to understand is that communion is, is a, a great time where we can rekindle the flame that is within us. I mean, you know, when we were born again, there was a flame that put, was put inside of us that ignited our uh, love and our devotion and opened up our awareness to the living God. Amen? Is that not true? And the Apostle Paul was encouraging a young pastor by the name of Timothy uh, some time ago who came into tough, rocky uh, times and... and uh, he was in a rough spot in his ministry. Timothy was battling fear and whatever else uh, that kind of comes along with fear because of all of the circumstances that he and the church were going through. And it was a very trying time for Timothy because uh, Timmy, Timothy, because of his preaching of the Word, it was getting out uh, to many uh, Christians and uh, those Christians were being persecuted and actually murdered for sharing the truth of the gospel. And Timothy was very, very concerned about that. I would have to be too if that was the case here, but I'm going to preach anyway. And I, I'm going to take the word that Paul shared with Timothy, and I'm going to go with it uh, for my own life. And I hope you do too. In Second Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7 Paul wrote to Timothy and he reminded him to rekindle the gift of God that is in him through the laying on of my hands. Did you notice that uh, it was a gift of God and it was in him. It was inside of him. That's a revelation that a lot of Christians or people that claim to be Christians do not have is the revelation of the gift of God that is inside of them through the... And it was done uh, by Paul through the laying on of hands. So he prayed and laid hands on Timothy. And Timothy received the Holy Spirit into his life and re received that revelation, knowledge, and understanding of Christ within him. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, it says, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Timothy was experiencing a great deal of fear. But we're not to experience or we're not to uh, allow fear to overtake us. This morning I'd like to encourage all of you with what Paul told Timothy because of the truth of the matter is that we all have been going through quite the battles since uh, the beginning of this year. There's all kinds of things. You know, some of it was due to weather, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, we are subject to the COVID-19 and all that was uh, involved with that. So there was, a, there was a battle, has been a battle going on since the beginning of the year, and it doesn't sound like it's over yet. There's all kinds of uh, uh, 
awful things going on with rioting and looting and whatever the case might be. And with everything that's going on in the world today, we've been facing it. And I would like to encourage you to get a hold of the revelation of Christ once again, that's, uh, that, that presence that's inside of you that keeps you moving forward, keeps your eyes focused and listening and tuned in to the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to encourage you with all of that. And we've all uh, been going through it. But uh, rekindle the gift of God that is within you. You need to be rejuvenated. A, a, a friend of mine sent me a message, I think it was yesterday, re, to be rejuvenated and regenerated. And we need to refocus on God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's get, at, get our moral compass honed in and tuned in and calibrated and set our things, our sights on things above. What we're all witnessing is tough, uh, have, has been a tough spiritual battle and we need to have our confidence, the confidence of God. Listen to me, what, what I'm saying. We have to have the confidence of God. Not our own confidence. That's not going to go very far. But we have to have the confidence of God in our hearts to see us through. And I think the way we do that is one way is through communion. Because we're going to rekindle ourselves. We're going to rejuvenate and regenerate ourselves when we partake of the communion elements. So let's go to Luke twenty-two nineteen. I think you've already done that. And I'll try to explain uh, what's going on here. The best of my ability. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Now, I've talked about the body and the bread and how that is symbolic of, of uh, Christ's body. So, And it says, do this in remembrance of me. Other uh, uh, parts of the Synoptic Gospels say, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Verse 20, and it says... In the same way, he also took the cup. He took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, at, at the particular time of the supper, uh, Passover, uh, how do you pronounce that word, John? Is cedar? Is that cedar? Okay. And at that particular time, they would have four cups of wine, and you were uh, supposed to take four cups of wine. But today we're going to talk about the one cup because I don't have um, the rest of it studied out very well. This cup is the new covenant, it says, in my blood. And I'm going to try to explain that. We've talked about the bread before, and it represents and symbolizes the body of Jesus. Today we'll focus on the cup of the new covenant. That's what Jesus called it, the cup of the new covenant. And it was done in his blood. So it represents and symbolizes his blood. And it says in the other uh, Gospels, to drink ye all of it. We can't just have a part of Jesus. We can't just have a little bit of righteousness. We either have righteousness or we don't. And it's all by taking the blood of Jesus and internalizing that. We have to take that. The cup of the new covenant, that phrase has just kind of leaped out to me this week. And I think once we understand more about that phrase, it will help us to encourage 
uh, ourselves in uh, these trying times? What is the cup of the new covenant? And why is his blood the symbol of this new covenant? So I think, first of all, some of this you're already going to know. So hang with me. I understand that. There are other people that may not. And I'm, I'm going to be brief about it because how many know the uh, sacrificial system and talking about the tabernacle gets pretty deep and it takes a long time to go through it. So I'm just going to give you a, kind of a synopsis of it. So I think, first of all, we need to understand, and most of you do, that in order to have a new covenant, there must have been an old covenant, correct? And uh, that's certainly the case as we read our Bibles. Most of us know then that the covenant was based on the sacrificial slaughter. The old covenant was based on a sacrificial slaughter of an innocent uh, animal. And, and for the most part, it, we're talking about a, a, a pure, innocent lamb. They were uh, scrutinized for three days. And they were uh, scrutinized inside and out before they were taken to the altar. And that altar, that, that time when they were slaughtered there, and there's a whole lot to that. I can't explain it all in one time. But there was a, it, this experience was that there was, it was only a, what's the word I'm looking, at, looking for? It was a temporary satisfaction for uh, the sins of the people of God. In other words, annually, Every household in the Jewish nation would bring a lamb on the, to the high priest and they would perfectly scrutinize this animal inside and out and it would be sacrificed at the temple and the blood was then applied to the altar to cover their sin. And it was also applied to different pieces of furniture in the tabernacle and whatnot. There was a lot more to it, in other words. But the point is, is in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system or the sacrificial process was only a foreshadow or a picture of what Christ was going to do for us in the New Testament. He would offer himself, the Bible teaches us, as a sacrifice once and for all, if we read Hebrews, and the, uh, for all of the sin and all who would believe him in him by faith. It was a more perfect way of dealing with the sin of mankind. And we'll, I'll try to get all this tied together so you'll understand what I'm saying. You may be asking, why did the Old Testament sacrifice, sacrificial system only temporarily satisfy God's need to punish sin? And it's because it was the blood of an animal. It was not the blood of a human being. It was not the blood of a perfect human being, I should say. It was a non-compliant, innocent animal that could not pay the uh, full price of uh, humans, um, human beings in their sin. It could never do more than cover the sin stains of man. But it was the shed blood of Jesus, we know, as we study our Bibles, that would completely satisfy the wrath of God's holy nature. And this is something I taught here a while back, and I'm not going to reiterate everything um, for time's sake. So you see, under the Old Covenant, the people could only see a foreshadow of what was to come when Jesus died on a cross. And the Old Covenant could never take away the condemnation. 
It can never take away the condemnation uh, through the system of animal sacrifice. It could only postpone that judgment. By the shedding of the blood of animals and performing all the rituals over and over and over again, year after year after year, people could only see a future atonement uh, by the death of, of a Messiah. And we know that was Jesus. But rarely was there anyone who really truly understood what they were doing and what they were seeing because they didn't see out there far enough that there would be a perfect human being who was able to uh, be sacrificed for the sin of the world. You and I as believers, however, can look back on uh, that system, see how it was all pointing to the time when Jesus would give himself on the cross for the sin of man. There's a new and better covenant, and it becomes reality if, you, if only you and I believe. Anyone who would believe, it becomes a reality then to them. So what makes it a new and better covenant? What makes it a new and better covenant? It's because we only have to believe in Jesus Christ to make, it, make us righteous. In the Old Covenant, they believed that the rituals performed uh, that were performed would make them righteous. But how many know that that's not the case? God did not uh, assume that the people were uh, considered righteous because of the uh, sacrificial system. The blood of animals could never permanently satisfy God, therefore I mentioned the reason. A lamb was a non-compliant, unwilling sacrifice, and an animal could never pay the price for a human being's uh, sin. And then the other reason is because the blood of animals by law could never be, never literally be internalized. It could never be internalized. First of all, it's gross. Second of all, it was opposed. It opposed the law that we uh, read if we uh, read in the book of Leviticus and in Genesis nine four. It opposed the law to eat or drink the blood of an animal. Genesis nine four, for your uh, reference, and you can read on your own. But Leviticus seventeen says this in verses ten and eleven. Anyone from the house of Israel or from the aliens who reside among them who eats any blood, I will turn against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. For the life of, cre of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed you it to, uh, to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the life blood that makes atonement. So it's because of the fact that it was opposing the law of God. That's the old covenant. Now only is it not, it, it, not only is it gross uh, to drink or eat the blood of an animal, it's against God's laws, and he said he would uh, turn against anyone and all who would uh, partake of that. But over in the New Testament, we're talking about the New Testament and the New Covenant. Jesus commands us to partake of the cup of wine, which symbolizes his blood, which represents his life being internalized in us. That's so very important for us to understand that we are internalizing his life. The old covenant 
it was against God's laws to partake of the lifeblood of the sacrificial animal. But in the New Testament, Jesus is offering us his blood and his life symbolically through the cup of the new covenant. Does that make sense to everyone? Everyone, nobody's falling asleep yet. So they're all still following with me. It says in James 1.21, and he puts it this way. Therefore, because when we internalize this, the, the blood of Jesus, when we internalize his life-giving nature through his blood, we're ridding ourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. That's what happens when we're internalizing what Jesus has done, according to James. First Thessalonians 2.13 teaches us that we should constantly be giving thanks to God because we received into ourselves the word of God. How many know Jesus is the word of God? Amen. And we received him. So Jesus is obviously the Word of God. We need to be thankful that we received Him into our lives. And then, of course, in Romans 8, most of us would be thinking, uh, our minds would be going to Romans on this subject. And it says, Romans 8, 8 through 10, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When they were practicing the sacrificial uh, rituals and stuff. They were still in the flesh. They couldn't please God. They couldn't sac- uh, satisfy God and His holiness. In verse 9, but you, however, Romans uh, 8, 8 through 10, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, If anyone does not have the Spirit of of Christ, he does not belong to him. In verse 10, now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. In Ephesians 3.17, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So my point is this. We partake of the cup of of the new covenant, we are actually internalizing the life of Christ into our hearts by faith. That's simply what we're doing. By faith, we're putting our confidence in the, in the grace of God who provided, excuse me, we, uh, by faith, we are putting our confidence in God who provided by His grace the substitutionary sacrifice of His one and only begotten Son, and that is Jesus Christ. It's by God's grace that we are saved. So let's talk a little bit this morning about uh, God's grace, and uh, then we'll be partaking of our communion elements. The reason why I want to talk about the grace of God at this particular time is for this reason, I think there's a huge misunderstanding with people all over the world, with churches, people in churches, and I think even pastors themselves. Um, I think there's a huge misunderstanding by people today 
So let's define, they don't understand what grace is or what grace is all about. So let's uh, define that. Most of us, if I asked you what would be the definition of grace, most people would say what? Unmerited favor. That's probably the one I would have come up with first. And uh, unmerited favor or primary favor. And if that was the case, that was your answer, you would be right. There's other ways of putting it, and they were probably all right. But in other words, it means that you can't, you literally cannot buy God's grace. You cannot purchase it. You can't earn God's grace. You can't work for it. You can't make a trade for it. You in no way, shape, or form will ever deserve it. And why is that? It's because God's grace does not in any way, shape, or form incur debt. God's grace doesn't incur debt. We can't purchase it. We can't buy it. We can't do anything to uh, receive it other than receiving the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that was God providing uh, that opportunity through his grace that we might be saved. There are those out there who believe and still believe that somehow you can please God and he will overlook your sin. I know people, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I know people that think that because Sister Susie, or it wouldn't even be Sister Susie, a certain person down the road that they know of did, does such nice things and stuff, God couldn't possibly send her to that place that place of judgment. There are those who still feel that everyone goes to heaven when they die. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be black and white with it. It's just not the truth. Not everyone goes to heaven unless they are born again because of the shed blood of Jesus. There are those out there who believe and still believe that somehow you can please God and He will overlook your sin. And the Bible says that salvation is a gift of God. No debt can be incurred upon God's gift. No no, uh, uh, no debt can be incurred on God's great gift. There are those who still feel that we all can qualify for eternity uh, spent with God based on nobility, Heroism, um, good deeds, like I said uh, about anyone uh, a little bit earlier. Good deeds of all kinds and just basically we're a good person. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. And there's a lot of scripture that we could go through and we could read uh, that explains that. But folks, it's simply not the case. God's grace does not mean that everyone is forgiven because God has this infinite supply of generosity. He doesn't have an infinite supply of generosity just to hand out. That's not the case. He doesn't have a bountiful supply of grace to just simply remit and write off people's sins. The only way that that is done is through the blood of Jesus. God doesn't simply wave the judgment on sin because we're basically a good person upstanding in the community 
and we're not prone to spewing out vulgarity. Okay? It just doesn't work that way. He doesn't waive our sin because we deal honestly in business. All those things are good. All of that that I'm talking about has to do with works, and our works will not satisfy God. Where the works comes in is when we receive the Lord into our life, the blood of Jesus is applied, and we have the life of Christ living in us. Then the works come in. And that works then is uh, is uh, just showing the world, and it's showing God our love and our devotion and our uh, gratitude for what he's done for us. That's where works comes in. So he doesn't deal leniently with our sin based on the fact that we're genuinely nice people. Okay, but there are people that believe that and it's being taught, I'm sorry to say, in the church. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we forget that little phrase at the end. It's in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God can only pardon the sin of anyone because Christ Jesus paid the price to satisfy a just and holy and righteous God. He doesn't forgive based on our merits or demerits for that matter. He doesn't forgive sinners because we have this false understanding that God will just simply excuse our sin because He's so full of graciousness and generosity. It doesn't work that way. There was a tremendous price that had to be paid. It was the shed blood of Jesus. Tremendous price that was paid to satisfy not only our need for redemption, but God's need to satisfy His wrath and anger towards sin. The price was only satisfied through Jesus. Romans 3:23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace. See, grace doesn't incur a debt. Whatever God's done, He's done because of the grace and His nature, and He's made and provided an opportunity and a way for us to be saved by grace. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ. I'm sorry to say there are too many who have strayed from this truth and teach otherwise, that uh, somehow their good works will get them to heaven and it's not going to happen. They'll be gravely disappointed. Sin is not absolved by God's graciousness, but only by justice. He faithfully will forgive you and I, and pardon our sin because of Jesus. What do I mean by justice? Sin is not absolved by graciousness. It's absolved by justice. What do I mean by that? The answer is found in 1 John 1, 9. How many have that one memorized? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is what? Faithful and just. To do what? Exactly. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our sin is absolved because of justice. And uh, Jesus met those qualifications for justice. And he covered the basis for you and I. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's in this verse that the pathway of justice was provided for the sinner who would only believe. You and I have done that. We've all believed. And it was God's grace that provided a way for you and I to be vindicated. It, was, it wasn't because God is so nice. And God's nice. But it wasn't because He was so nice. It's not because He was so lenient. Uh, he's not that type of guy. Okay? He didn't just find it in his heart someday uh, to absolve people of their sin. That wasn't what he did and, and said, well, they're just, I just don't have the heart to send them to hell. The truth of the matter is we send ourselves to hell because we don't buy into the gospel message. So it wasn't because he was nice and lenient and that sort of uh, guy that, uh, you know, uh, who just couldn't find it in his heart to send people somewhere uh, into hell for judgment. We have to partake by faith in the shed blood of Jesus who loved us so much that he died for us on a cruel cross. And we have to internalize that. We can't just say, I believe. It's not... It's just, it's not enough. When the way you look up that word believe, it's more than that. It's, it's talking about internalizing the truth of the gospel and allowing the spirit and the life of Christ to come dwell inside of you. It's more than uh, making mental assent and, and believing, well, I believe that Jesus did that. Well, so do the demons in hell. They believe all of that. But we have to do, take it one step farther in our minds and in our hearts. We have to receive it into our hearts and make it alive, allow it to become alive inside of us. So, with that being said, I have, uh, I think, one more page, one more full page of notes. But if you want to, why don't you come up and uh, get your communion elements and take them back to your seat. Um, maybe we'll start. This way, come around this way, get your elements and go back around that way. Is that the way we ought to do that? And I'm going to finish up and, and hopefully uh, tie this all up for you. If you want to go ahead and uh, come up, if John, if you need a little help there, somebody can uh, make sure. So I hope this is making sense to you. Because we're going to go back uh, to our text here in just a moment. It gives people that are listening in on uh, Facebook and uh, live streaming there, it gives them an opportunity. Maybe they have elements there at their home. If not, you'd have to drive real quickly to the store to get your stuff. We don't want to do that. But you, can, you can have your own communion service at home. And you can do it any time. In fact, I recommend that you do it frequently. 
something maybe that uh, my family ought to do uh, as well. Uh, all of you kind of uh, look over your elements there and realize, remember what that you're supposed to do. There's a, there's a wafer, communion wafer on the top. And you just unpeel that first. And then there will be the wine beneath that. So here's what I want, want to do. I want to just kind of finish this up. So back to our, our text now. You don't have to turn back to that because your hands are full now and we don't want to make any messes. But Luke 22 and 20 says, When Jesus says this is the cup of the covenant in my blood and that we should drink it all, what he is saying is that we are partakers of his life. We have his life operating within us, and we can take it wherever we go. Opposing the Old Testament, when the sacrifice was taken and the life of the, of the lamb was taken back then in the Old Testament, you couldn't take that with you. Jesus, we can take with us. We are literally uh, uh, drinking and internalizing the covenant promises of Jesus and whatever all that means to us by uh, drinking the wine uh, from the fruit of the vine. We are literally showing symbolically that we have internalized the life of Jesus in our heart and he goes with us everywhere he goes. We go. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus Christ, we have eternal life dwelling within us, and we can go, we take eternal life with us wherever we go. Jesus said in John 17, 21, and this kind of sums it all up, I think, for us. John 17, 21. Jesus said this, I think it, uh, like I said, it'll sum it all up for us. Jesus is praying to the Father, not only for himself, but all of those who would believe in him. He says, may they all be one as your Father are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, I do thank you right now. I thank you that uh, we are all one in this uh, together, Father God this body of believers here this morning. And I thank you right now that we have uh, Jesus' life dwelling within us. And I thank you right now for the cup that, uh, of the new covenant that he wanted us to drink from and what all that means uh, to us. And I just give you praise, glory, and honor for that today. And uh, this morning we would, uh, we would invite you, Lord, to uh, regenerate and rejuvenate us by your words and your uh, teaching this morning through the power of your Spirit. And this morning we want to uh, do that by uh, partaking of these elements this morning. <laughs> I hope everybody's having a positive experience there. I had the plastic sticking to my fingers. Anyway. 
Heavenly Father, I do thank you for uh, the broken body of Jesus Christ. That you shared it with us. And that it symbolizes his life. Broken for us. And where we're, the Bible teaches us that we are to recognize and remember Jesus' uh, broken body all the time, every day. And uh, so, Lord, we want to partake of that this morning and uh, just allow that to sink into our hearts and into our minds in Jesus' name. So let's all partake together. Father, again, I just thank you for the shed blood of the new covenant of Jesus. What it means to us that our sin has been absolved, that our relationship with you has been rectified, Father God. That our sin is no longer applied to our lives, Father God. That is such an interesting thought, Lord. The sin, our sin is no longer accounted to us. It's never again applied to our account, Father. And I thank you right now for the grace that provides the way through Jesus' shed blood to uh, deal with that sin. And we just give you the praise, the glory, and honor for that. As we drink it in, Father God, we drink it all in, Father And we uh, thank you right now for what it means to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that gave you a little bit of understanding and a whole lot of meaning uh, for what Jesus has done for you and I. It's it's designed, it's, it's that beginning point that we had Way back when, when we gave our hearts to the Lord, how, remember how uh, excited and exuberant we were about that? And sometimes through all of the, the things of the world, everything that's going on, sometimes that uh, interferes with that. And this is just a time that we need to remember and get back to that place where we uh, started with Jesus and be reminded that his life dwells within us. And we can share him with all of those around us, everyone that we meet. And so with that being said, I just I bid you farewell for today and I, I